Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog I used to think that this was my town What a stupid thing to think I hear you biting off a brain now I myself am on the brain I used to want to be a real man What's up, Creepies? What's up, Diamond Dogs? What's up, Athletic Gerbils? It's Rhea Butcher, the host of this here podcast, which is called Three Swings. What's up, everybody? I, number one, recorded a half hour of this podcast, only to realize, number, well, first, the batteries died 30 minutes in, so then I changed the batteries, only to realize that it wasn't recording onto the card. I thought I reformatted the card, but instead I, like, erased it from existence. So now it doesn't record anything. And it was, oh, man, it was a humdinger. It was a real good one. This one's going to be good, too. But that one was just between me and everything else. (laughs) Uh, I hope you enjoyed the last week's episode, the interview with Nick Francona. I'm so grateful that he came on the show. Grateful to whoever pointed him in my direction. And so that he could find me on LinkedIn. Hope you enjoyed it. Um, I think these are the kinds of conversations we need to be having because we kept saying throughout the whole podcast how we probably disagree on a lot of things and then just agreed on everything we were talking about, um, which was pretty great, I think. You know, we talk about this a lot. We need to be talking to each other. And like, it's true. It's easy to be on social media and be like, I'm not going to talk to racists. And it's like, that's not really. I don't think what we're trying to do here, it's like trying to find the people who aren't completely off the rails in either direction and having them talk to each other. You know, I can hold my beliefs, he can hold his beliefs, and we can have a conversation about where those beliefs overlap, which is kindness, treating other people and human beings with respect. (laughs) Not a very difficult concept, you know, it really isn't. Um, a a capitalist from the Wharton School of Business and uh, whatever the hell I am, walk into a bar and I don't have anything to drink and we mostly talk, (laughs) you know? Um, So, I don't know. I encourage people to keep the conversation going and, you know, stay open to each other. It is difficult out there, but, like, we just have to keep having one conversation at a time. It truly is the only way that any of this shit changes. It doesn't actually change with laws. It doesn't actually change with all this stuff. It actually changes being human beings with each other. And that's the unfortunate and also completely fortunate and freeing truth of all of it is that you just have to be there. 
You know, I, I br- talked briefly about going to the Nashville Sounds game when I was in Nashville and I didn't really get into it because I wanted to get to the interview. But, uh, you know, I really liked going there. I wouldn't say that I felt super comfortable. It, I, I didn't feel, you know, nobody really talked to me. I've gone to baseball games and, I you know, I, I, I'm engaged in the game and there were two scouts sitting behind me. And before I realized they were scouts, they kept, you know, talking about the game. And I kept kind of like looking back at them to j- like try to jump in and be like, oh, looking, you know, whatever, just like be in, in this space together. And like they really didn't want anything to do with it. And I could either take that as they don't like gay people or they're doing their job and they don't want to talk, you know, so... I could take it either way. Uh, and then, you know, the the people who weren't scouts around me weren't necessarily friendly either. They definitely didn't want to sit by me. And that's okay. I, that could have just been, I don't want to sit by other people, which is a silly concept to me at this point in time. We all, I mean, I get, who knows? I feel like people have all, probably all, always been like this because there's always been seats. But like, I <laughs> don't understand. Of course, if there's an option to not sit directly next to somebody and it's pretty empty all in general, I'm going to not sit directly next to the person. But I also am like, why not? Not in a movie. I'm not talking about movies or dark, intimate spaces that if you don't need to sit next to somebody, don't do it. But like everything at like a baseball game, you're probably going to have to sit next to somebody. You knew that going in. So like, just have a good time sitting next to somebody you don't know. Assume the best of someone. That's what I was doing with them. I kept smiling at people. But I did have a good time. And to just speak just briefly to the whole not sitting next to people thing, I got to the Nashville airport and there was a... I had a rental car. So I was dropping off the rental car, which was in a parking garage structure. And there was some sort of golf cart situation, which apparently was optional. And I was unaware of this because nothing was explained to me and there was no signage. So I just assumed as a traveler that, well, there's golf carts being provided. It must be pretty far away. So I figured that I was supposed to get on the golf cart. And then they filled up a golf cart and the guy ignored me. And I was like, all right, well, whatever. Then the next golf cart pulls up and he's like, do you want to go on the golf cart? I was like, sure, because I didn't know what was going on. So I just went with it. And then there were these two elderly white guys. They must have been at least in their late 70s. Now, this is a golf cart that is has provided seating for six. The driver, a passenger seat, and then two bench seats behind it. And the luggage goes on the back of the thing. These two guys were traveling together. They were ahead of me. I also was letting them go ahead of me because they were older than me. So I was letting them go ahead of me to try to be respectful. The one guy sat down in the back seat. The other guy looks at the situation and sits in the other seat. And I could not believe it. I almost stepped back and took a picture of it, but I didn't want to be rude. And so I just laughed out loud. And then I sat next to that guy. I sat next to the guy that chose to not sit with his friend. And he looked at me like I was a psychopath. And I wanted to be like, where do you want me to go? You want me to not ride on the thing? Is that what people are trying to do? 
It's like, is that how how much like capitalism and a, like American what what is it like de- uh, sacred destiny? What the hell is that stupid thing called? Like how much that has affected our psyche as human beings that we think that like if we stake a claim to something, no one else should have to should get it, and that includes a fucking free golf cart at an airport. I mean, come on. What in the world? Because it definitely wasn't personal. He doesn't know me well enough for it to be personal. (laughs) I mean, it's personal on his end, for sure. But it wasn't personal on my end. So I sat next to that guy, and I will tell you, I spread my legs so wide. (laughs) I took up so much space. And then they got off the thing. It's like, did you? you're traveling together. You probably have seats on the airplane together. You can't sit on the golf cart together? Manifest destiny is what the word is. Or phrase, I mean. Ugh. So that was my experience in Nashville. I also, I mean, I, I it was great going to that stadium. They have wonderful merch. I did a great job and only spent $5 and bought a sticker. Because Lord knows I don't need a 50th hat. Because I definitely have a problem with hats. Although they had some really good hats. <laughs> um, they have a really awesome old logo of like a dude with a handlebar, or not a handlebar mustache, but a curly mustache swinging a, an acoustic guitar like a baseball bat, uh, which is an interesting choice. But it was really great. I spent $30 on the seat and I got, I think, the best seat in the ballpark. I was directly behind home plate. It was pretty wonderful. I couldn't stick it out, though, and I had to leave in like the seventh when the sounds finally put it over the edge and got some runs on the board against the uh, Redbirds, the Memphis Redbirds. I just it was a it was a long game. They were it was slow and there's not as much going on at a minor league game, which is weird because the other ones I've gone to, there's always so much stuff going on. But what's fascinating is to go from maybe it's just Dodger Stadium, but like that thing is entertaining as hell. And there's never a moment that you're not being entertained to at Dodger Stadium. And so my like my attention span has changed by going to Dodger Stadium. And we'll talk more about the Dodgers later. Uh, So, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for that. And thanks for coming out to all those shows. I don't remember if I said that last episode. And this is something I can totally repeat. Nobody cares about being thanked too many times. I appreciate everybody that came out to the Nashville shows, to the Birmingham show, to the Huntsville show. I'm really grateful to all of you. I had a really wonderful time meeting all of you. And I just want to say real quick, you know, and it goes back to the having conversations with other people. You know, when I went to Alabama and after both of those shows, so many people said, thank you for not making fun of us. And one, I was like, I'm not going to come to your house and make fun of you because that's a pretty shitty thing to do. And uh, B... I know that not everybody is on board with this. So that's why I came here because I feel like maybe you need a break from that. And if if I can try to provide that, I will, you know, Um, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to do that. I also think I just want people to know, you know, other people in Alabama, ones that came to my show. So we at least agree on some stuff. They're bummed that people are making fun of them. And Yeah, you could make the argument that like, oh, well, how does that compare to making abortion illegal? Well, the the two things don't compare because those people didn't make it illegal. Um, They didn't vote for those the people that put that into place and they don't want that. You know, the people of Alabama did not get to vote on this. And 
the districts are gerrymandered. So who knows if people even really voted for these people, you know? Um, so it's just something to keep in mind that, you know, not everybody to, to paint with a broad brush and call everybody from Alabama, like whatever derogatory terms and slurs and stuff, stupid or whatever is pretty antithetical to, you know, what, for me to do that, I'll speak for myself, but for me to do that, it's pretty antithetical to wanting people to be kinder to each other and not call each other names. If if I don't want people to say like homophobic stuff, transphobic stuff, queerphobic stuff, then how could, could I ever expect someone to listen to me if I turn around and make fun of other people? It just doesn't compute, you know? Um, and especially when I'm making fun of or being derogatory towards people who aren't responsible for it. You know, the people that are responsible for this are the policymakers or the politicians who were or were not elected in a democratic way to the Alabama state legislature. And all of this goes back to money. I mean, sure, you can make the argument that it's a belief system or re- religiosity thing, but I truly believe that that's a cover for something else. It's it's a convenient cover because it works because you can get people on board behind it. You know, you can you can get people stirred up about it. But I really think it all goes down to money. All these people are being paid by people that it benefits to make abortion illegal, more difficult to get a hold of um, for people who don't have money, because money's also the key in abortion, because it's it's a medical procedure that sometimes people need for medical reasons. And sometimes it's for medical reasons that you don't really get to have an opinion on, <laughs> you know? Um, but people will still be able to get them. Rich people, people with money will still be able to get them because they'll code it as they'll call it something else. They'll call it a DNC or some other thing and they'll put it on insurance or, you know, do it under the table at a private practice and they'll still have access to it. So it's all money. It's all money based, you know? Um, and so that is, you know, why, Money out of politics is one of the best possible things. So I'm personally not talking about the people that I want to vote for in the 2020 election because it's 2019 and we have a long time to go. There are a lot of people that are saying a lot of really good things. So I'm grateful for that. And there's a lot of people that I like. There's a lot of people that I'm like, "Mm, I'm done with you. Never mind. But I think there's a lot of voices to be heard, and uh, this is a baseball podcast, so I am going to talk about baseball at some point. Um, but <laughs> I do just want to mention, I have not been watching a ton of TV, um, which includes baseball, unfortunately. It's just where my life has been at. I've been following it via fantasy baseball, so thank God for fantasy baseball and I never thought I would say that, but uh, I've been able to pay attention to and stay involved with baseball because I want to, because I'm playing fantasy baseball. So grateful for that. But I did finally watch uh, Netflix's Knock Down the House, which I think everybody should watch. Um, Even though you know the outcome of the thing, I think it's a very well done documentary, number one. Um, Number two, I feel like it highlights a lot of things that we need to keep in mind moving forward in the election. And like, honestly, I... something that has stuck with me not just that like we should be electing people who are real people not career politicians we should be electing people now 
2019, 2020, I am talking about now. I do not want to rehash the past. I literally do not. Right now, moving forward, this is what we should be doing. Um, seeing how, watching now, after seeing that documentary, and seeing how so many politicians use Trump as cover to make po- promises on bullshit that mean nothing, that mean absolutely nothing. Like I watched Joe Biden was talking about like, uh, you know, black trans women are being killed at at an alarming rate and we need to stop that. And the way to stop that is by getting Donald Trump out of office. And it's like, no, (laughs) I mean, I I don't want that guy in office, but that's not what's going to stop that. And that is the most hollow and empty promise you could possibly make. So anyway, I'm just grateful for that documentary. And um, it is Pride Month. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like all over the place. Look, I I had such, I made such a great episode that got deleted that didn't even exist. So when you're like, Rhea, what are you talking about? Just pretend it's perfect. Um, It's Pride Month and I feel, I'm feeling a lot of ways about Pride Month this year. I uh, think, man, it's crazy to live it. It's wild to live at a time when we could be having the debate that like people are having too much fun at pride <laughs> i just um you know i think man pride was a riot pride was and i don't mean that like as a facetious thing i mean it was literally a riot people were taking to this it was a protest and so i think we need to keep that in mind when we celebrate pride doesn't mean we can't be happy doesn't mean we can't be glorious and free it just means that Um, it's not about like getting wasted and getting laid necessarily. Like, yeah, you could say that those things are a big F you to the man, but like, I don't know, man. Uh, this, that's not what it's about. And I'm also like it, it, I am alarmed by the fact that every democratic candidate has not only like a pride version of their shirt, but also like a trans flag version of their shirt. And I just don't know how to feel about it. I feel many, I'll just say this, I feel a multitude of ways about it. (laughs) You know, I used to be like, all visibility is progress. And I'm like, I don't know about that anymore. (laughs) Because all these, like, YouTube is, uh, doesn't do shit about, like, homophobic harassment or anything like that. They take queer videos off the internet. And then they're also, they've got, oh, this cute, like, pride banner on their Twitter or whatever. Like, come on. What is any of this? You know, like, what is any of this? So I guess the point, it goes back to my original point, which is have real conversations with people. Don't allow yourself to become a t-shirt. Don't allow yourself to become a slogan. Like, don't let your belief system be a slogan. And I, I mean that positive slogans and negative ones. I see so many people saying like, I don't know. I guess maybe on the on the internet, like people were saying, no kinks at Pride. There's kids here, and it's like, what the hell are you even talking about? The only thing that I think should not be at Pride is cops. That's it. That's it. But then also, there's cops to keep I don't know people from killing queer people. So I don't know, <laughs> man. None of it makes any sense. I guess the whole point is go out, have some fun with your friends. Be kind to each other. Don't make assumptions about people. Because the whole thing is we don't want people making assumptions about us. So don't assume that people that look like they're heterosexual are heterosexual at a straight... I just had a straight pride parade. At a gay pride parade. At a queer pride parade. At pride. 
Don't assume straightness at pride. Get out of your own way and remember that there's bisexual people and there's pansexual people and there's queer people. Just remember that and you will feel freer. So anyway, again, this is a baseball podcast. I promise I'm going to talk about baseball at some point. Um, And that point is going to be right after this. All right, we're back. And uh, yeah, one more time. Shout out to Nick Francona. I hope he comes back on the podcast. I really like talking to him so much, literally so much to talk about, which is good and bad because I don't want to talk about bad things. But, you know, um, good to have these conversations. So Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel, the curious case of Kimbrell and Keuchel. We've got the embarrassingly long free agencies of seven-time All-Star Craig Kimbrell and Cy Young Award winner Dallas Keuchel, which are likely to come to an end this week or next week now that teams can sign either pitcher without losing their draft pick. Now, this just seems like that's got to be part of the CB, the collective bargaining agreement, right? With the players union and the MLB and everything. How did this not, this seems like buttering people up for collusion. I just don't understand. Like you go, well, they, they make this qualifying offer. Okay. So both Kimbrell and Keuchel received qualifying offers from their former teams, the Red Sox and Astros, respectively, that they turned down, meaning that if any new team signed them prior to the MLB draft, they would have to give up a pick to the former teams in exchange. Does that not just seem like, oh, hey, well, we'll just get around this by we'll send out this qualified thing and then you guys can't have this, so then you'll have to wait. It doesn't seem like it works out for the players at all. Um, And pretty much every major contender has been mentioned as a potential landing spot for Kimbrell and Keuchel, Minnesota, Cubs, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Dodgers, and Yankees. Bench coach Brett wants to know where I think the best landing spots are for Kimbrell and Keuchel and where do I think they will have the biggest impact. All those teams. Nobody, like, first of all, Kimbrell, the fact that the Cubs have not already signed Kimbrell is insane to me. They have no closer. Um, And I think the same could be said for Atlanta. And for the Phillies. And I think Keiko would make make a huge impact on any of these teams. It's hard for me to say like which one would have the most impact because I could make the case for any of them. Because all of these teams are gunning for the World Series. So if you're a team that's trying to get to the World Series, then you should be picking up either or both of these guys. Um, and then as far as fantasy goes, I'm pretty sure that Brett picked up Kimbrell, who is someone that I drafted in my auto draft. Thanks again, auto draft. I think I might have also had Keuchel. <laughs> I can't remember anymore, but I did pick up Keuchel because I personally think that in the fantasy game of a closer versus a starter coming in nearly midseason at this point, Um, that the starter is going to have a better chance at consistency as opposed to a closer because I just think the mindset of a closer is something that you have to build over the season and he's missed a lot of time building the psychological setup of being a closer. So personally, I went with Keuchel over Kimbrell and I also am just like married to my two closers who are not that great, but whatever. Um my fantasy team has been doing all right. And I did just pick up Austin Riley, who also hit a three run home run to the opposite field, a couple rows back. And it was a absolute bomb. And the dude is a stud. And I never say that. So pick that guy up if he's free in your league. And I would say stats or head to head. 
Um, and bench coach Brett, speaking of the Yankees, we have to talk about the Yankees. Despite suffering an historic amount of injuries this season, the emergence this season, uh, this was covered in a previous episode. The Yankees have won nine series in a row and are now in first place in the AL East ahead of the Rays by two and a half games. Uh, and the Rays also just ran into the Minnesota Twins. So that's a big part of their um, recent skid. And hey, I might be completely wrong, but I'm happy to make big statements and be proven wrong. Um, it's happened uh, very recently. A major factor of their success has been the emergence of Gary Sanchez as this year's Aaron Judge Giancarlo Stanton. Sanchez is currently leading the AL in home runs with 18, matching his total home runs from last season and making him one of only two catchers since the year 1900 to hit 18 home runs before June 1st. With Stanton and Judge set to return by the end of June, are the Yankees a viable World Series contender this year? Yes. They are absolutely a viable World Series contender, but I do worry about the Yankees getting through a seven-game se- series, especially if that seven-game series is against um, the Twins or the Astros, who we will talk about in just a moment. I worry about their ability to get through a seven-game series. If they play either of those teams right now, they lose, I think. So it's all about, for me, with the Yankees, it's all about how these other teams stick around um, because the Yankees clearly have the depth if they're doing this without Aaron judge and Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron judge never forget that just him standing in right field is like, there's you can't hit a home run to right field. <laughs> so there's like that to think about, you know, it's not only his bat. It's like, he can't, you can't hit a home run to win the game, you know, I was going to say to save your life, but that doesn't really make sense. And I wanted to say to win the World Series. So I definitely think they're a viable contender, but I worry about them making it through a seven-game series. Um, Yeah, those are my thoughts. Contender, not calling it for them. And speaking of the Astros, the Houston Astros offense might be the scariest weapon in men's baseball right now. Just a couple stats, because you know how we love stats on this show. Through the first quarter of the season, Houston has a WRC plus of 134, a stat that calculates the value of a team's offensive production in relation to its era. What is wrong with you people? Who came up with that? I'm just kidding. I mean, it's wonderful. Look at your little brains. I just, look, the only class I ever dropped in my entire life was logic. I could not get it. I feel like if I went back to school now, I might have a chance, but I still am like, I don't think I can get that. That figure, albeit with a small sample size, puts the Astros above the 1927 Yankees, 126 WRC+, and the 1930-31 Yankees, 124 WRC+, who had lineups featuring Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, whom you might have heard of. The highest batting average on the team doesn't belong to George Springer or Jose Altuve or Alex Bregman, but to off-season free agent acquisition Michael Brantley. Average is 329. His on-base percentage, 385, and his slugging, 533. The last seven days, he's hitting 421 with a 522 on-base percentage and a 526 slugging percentage. He's bounced back from a string of injuries to return to the form that earned him an all-star appearance, a Silver Slugger award, and a third-place MVP finish in 2014. I wonder if 
the Cleveland clubhouse is kicking themselves right now. I mean, you can't predict these kinds of things. You really just can't. They shouldered a lot of injuries with this guy over the years and their time, their time was up. But I will say Cleveland is probably going to come in third in the central division, maybe second. I don't think they'll get the wild card and it's all because they didn't spend any money. They got one of the best managers in the game and they won't spend any money around the guy. And they're just going to Cleveland their way out of it. And they're not going to get in there. I don't think they win the Central Division this year. It's sad, but it's true. And it's because they didn't spend any money. The Astros hit 30 home runs over a 10-game span in late Erpl- Erpl? in late April, early May. The most in any 10-game span in franchise history. And George Springer is this, is second in the AL in home runs and third in RBI from the leadoff spot. Their only Achilles heel right now is injuries with Springer, Altuve, and Correa, all and Carlos Correa, all currently on the 10-day IL. When healthy, where do the 2019 Astros rank among the best offenses that you've seen in your lifetime? I mean... In the top 10. This is, Brett sent me this th- this question last week. I've had it for a week. And like, in my mind, I can't, I, I respect everybody's view of baseball and whatever it is, I can't just go like, oh, this offense of this year and this thing. Like, I just don't think about it that way. And like, yeah, so we talk about the 27 Yankees and the 30, 31 Yankees. Of course. Is that at the top of my brain? No, not at all. Would I say the 1995 Atlanta team and Cleveland team? Probably. But that's because that's something I know. But that doesn't mean that it ranks among it. They're clearly one of the best offenses I've seen in my lifetime, for sure. Unfortunately, as much as I don't like the Astros, (laughs) you know. So they're definitely up there and uh, curious to see how their rotation holds up. Garrett Cole is not bringing me consistency, so he can't possibly be bringing anybody else consistency, but they do have Justin Verlander. So So speaking of the Astros, on the 31st, Albert Albert Almora Jr. of the Chicago Cubs uh, was batting against the Houston Astros. I believe Wade Miley was pitching. He had a foul ball, a line drive foul ball into the stands on the third base side, which then hit a little girl in the head, presumably. Um, It happened so fast, and he was watching it the whole way because when you're hitting a baseball, you're looking at the ball the whole way, and you even look at it as it goes off of your bat. Um, And he's a professional baseball player, so he's trained to do this. Um, and he almost immediately broke down to his... He grabbed his head, saw what happened. Um, everyone was stunned. It was just... It was another situation um, in baseball that has happened uh, over the course of time and continues to happen. Um, 2017, Major League Baseball put out some new rules on netting behind home plate, essentially, that it should extend beyond the dugout, which is a pretty open-ended rule, which makes sense because every major league ballpark is different. There, It is something that is unique to baseball. Um, it's something that is a, a wonderful part of the game, that every stadium, every field is different, um, not only for the players, but for the fans, that each, each stadium, each field is unique and has been throughout time. However, when you're talking about something like 
regulations on protective netting, it then gets into some diciness because there's no one one sentence solution since each dugout is in a slightly different place. Um, it was a harrowing scene, a very a, a pretty long video. I watched some of it. I then saw a video that does show the ball going into the stands and it's an almost immediate reaction of everyone around. Um, this little girl looks like she's about four. Um, she has an orange bow in her head. Her guardian father immediately scoops her up and takes her out. And just the, the feeling on the field was very grim. And many of Albert's uh, teammates were consoling him. The Astros also Bregman. I mean, many of them essentially just taking a knee. Um, which makes so much sense to physically be there and watch something like that happen. Um, and it's something that you, no one wants to have happen. Right. Um, and I just, you know, Albert Almora did, he struck out and he was in tears walking away. I, I, he didn't give a shit about striking out. I don't give a shit about him striking out. I can't even imagine trying to get back into a game after that. Not only like in general, but in that one at bat, like just who cares? Like you just probably want to go lay down and cry and he did cry he was then later embraced by a security guard on the third base side um who who essentially just embraced him and held him while he was crying and i can't number one i have been vocal about how much i like that guy there has been something about that guy that I, i mean personally i find him very attractive which is besides the point but i just like the way that he plays the game he's got style he also is like I just like the way he plays the game. And I'm not saying that in in a way that people usually like, I love the way he plays the game. It's different than everybody. It's like, I just uh, appreciate his game, you know, like his his outfielding, his, his at-bats, like all of it. And I like the way he carries himself. And seeing this is, I'm grateful for his, like, I mean, I think he had almost zero control over it. But I'm I'm grateful that he did not try to control what he was feeling in this moment and did not try to control his feelings on what's going on and was very outspoken about it, uh, including Chris Bryant saying, like, we need to extend this netting. This is our worst nightmare and we don't want this to happen. So then, you know, there's an outpouring on social media. I did read up on these on two articles in The Times. There's one about a grief cycle, and then there's one about Manfred's comments about what to do. Now, I want to go in hard on Manfred, but he's not fully bristling at doing something about it, but he is kicking the can down the road to do it in the offseason as opposed to right now. Um, And while I want to, like, outrage on this guy, I don't think that's the most... I've, I've been saying this throughout this entire episode. It's not the most effective way for change, but I do think that, you know... A, the players saying, hey, look, we need to do this now um, is positive. And I think they need to keep saying it. They have to keep talking about it because it'll keep happening. There's more foul balls than ever because baseball has been expanded because baseball is different now. Like players are trying to hit home runs. And guess what happens when you try to hit home runs? You hit foul balls. It happens. And yes, there is also the sort of, you know, libertarian sort of free market argument that like, hey, man, the ticket says that the team is not responsible for this and you are walking into a situation where you know that this could happen and, hey, man, that's how life works. And, like, that's not wrong. It's not wrong that walking into a baseball stadium puts you at risk for getting hit with a baseball. That's not wrong. 
But I guess the question always ends up being, is the world you want to live in one where we do try to protect as many people as we can and try to give them an opportunity at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Or do we care more about season ticket holders and obstructed view of a field and our bottom line, which it always comes back to money? Because I do honestly think that what this conversation comes down to is money. And you are literally comparing how much money you make as a billion dollar corporation in most cases versus the life of a child. I mean, a woman died last or maybe it was 2017, but a woman died at Dodgers from an injury at Dodger Stadium. And the Dodgers did not even admit to it until February following that season. So, yeah, people go into this. Every day that I leave my house, I am assuming risk. Every day that I wake up alive, I am assuming risk. Yes, that is true. There are no safe spaces. There aren't. The only safe space that you can make is in your own heart and try to put that out into the world. Therefore, put up some netting at a baseball game. If your own players, who are the ones causing it, not on purpose, are saying, do this because it would work, then do it. But it comes down to, they don't, the the season ticket holders who spend the most amount of money don't want to sit behind a net. The the players themselves make sure their kids sit behind nets. I mean, it's just, it's, it's common sense. And many people lament the idea of thoughts and prayers. And I just want to take a moment to say that I lament, I lament the idea and concept of thoughts and prayers without action. Thoughts and prayers are meant to create action. You think and you pray for the answer for the next right thing. This, I mean, I haven't said it until this moment, but this is very reminiscent of the gun control debate. And I don't want to get highly politicized. However, it is, unfortunately. And the same thing holds true in gun control. Unfortunately, people have personalized it because many people identify with gun ownership as an identity. And I cannot begrudge them that. I cannot tell them that they're wrong for that. Many people grew up hunting. Many people grew up around guns with their family and they have good memories of that. And I cannot begrudge them or take it away from them or tell them that they are wrong for feeling that way. However, you have to set that aside and look at the real issue, which is that gun companies and ammunition companies want to make money and they are using you to make more money and they are allowing and perpetuating the death of human beings, and in this specific case, children, because they want to make more money. They're already making money. But the thing is, if everybody's got a gun, then you can't sell them a gun. So you have to focus on, hey, this is an amendment and this is a right. And so you got to, we got to keep flooding the market with all this product because that's what's got to happen. If we actually regulated how much was made, We might actually be able to curb gun violence because there would be less guns because the market is flooded with them, which is what creates a black market, which is what creates just like free floating guns around. And I am not saying ban all guns. I am saying gun control, just like I'm saying I'm not I don't want to ban baseball and I don't want to ban sitting in a baseball stadium. I just want a net up because I am willing to sacrifice, first, my line of vision toward the field, and second, my possibility of catching a foul ball at a baseball game 
I am willing to sacrifice that personal connection to a game to protect the potential child or human being sitting in a seat from death because I would prefer less people die at baseball games. I don't want to die at a baseball game. I would prefer that other people don't either. And I would prefer that other people don't suffer severe brain trauma because they're not wearing a helmet to a baseball game. I mean, maybe that's what we've got to do is wear helmets to baseball games to prove a point or say, fine, you don't want to do this. Either I'm not going to give you money for this or I'm going to wear a goddamn helmet to this baseball game. But these things are very comparable and at least the conversation is comparable. And I don't I don't want to say they are the same, but they're comparable. And my I bring this up because I want people to maybe think about the fact that all of this comes down to money and making money and it's profit over people all the time. And that is what government regulation can do or just talking to each other or just doing the right thing like we talked about in the last episode. So those are my thoughts on netting. I think that we should have them right now. I think that that little girl's injury should be the last straw. And I cannot believe that it hasn't broken the camel's back, although I can fully believe it because we've been sitting here watching children be murdered in their own school because we don't want to touch an amendment that was made 200 years ago. And we have allowed people who rightly have an identity with a weapon, rightly because they're allowed to have their opinion, run the discourse and I can relate to somebody. I can relate and I can turn my own shit. I can look at my own shit and say, you know what? Hey, let's set this stuff aside and let's really talk to each other about how we can prevent this. You know, how can we prevent this? Can we put a net up further down the line? Then let's do it. What's more important? People's lives or your ability to see a baseball game? What's more important? children's lives and safety in schools where they're supposed to be learning or your ability to get whatever gun you would like at whatever moment in life, you know? Or for a company, not even that, for a company to make as much money as they possibly can. Because that's what it comes down to. It is about money. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's about money. It's about people making stockpiles of cash and doing nothing with it. (laughs) doing nothing with it. If they were doing something with it, I would maybe have less of a problem. But they're doing nothing with it. It's just people stockpiling cash because it makes because that is their identity. Their identity is how much money they've got and how much more they can get. So, please put nets up in Major League Baseball. You know, I think they're a force to be reckoned with. The Red Sox aren't pulling the same kind of magic. They're winning now, but they don't have the same magic that they did last year. The Twins have got the magic. Rays had it for a little while. They might be burning out. And, I mean, Dodgers are having the same beginning of a season that they tend to do, which is, oh, it's pretty magical. Look at the Dodgers. Pretty hard to beat. And then, you know, here comes August, and they're a completely different team. So it's the season is long for a reason. That's the reason the season is long. (laughs) So, you know, we got a lot of baseball to play. We got a lot of baseball to play. And I've got a lot to keep talking to you about. So we'll be right back right after this.
We're getting real close to the All-Star Game, which is happening in July. And I just want to give a quick shout out to something else that's happening in July, which is that I will be at the Hannah Theater in Cleveland, Ohio on July 7th, the weekend of the All-Star Break. So come on out, Cleveland. Come see me. Let's have some laughs. It's not competing with any of the stuff. The game is on Tuesday. My show's on Sunday. So come on out to that. You can get tickets on my website, which is RiaButcher.com. The All-Star Game is going to be in Cleveland this year, if you can even believe it. And there's a new voting system for the All-Star Game. Major League Baseball's new format to elect All-Star starters using a two-stage election starting with a, quote, primary vote premiered last Tuesday, May 28th. This is silly to me to ape the election like this. The primary stage includes a representative from each team at every position, including designated hitter in the American League. Primary voting will end at 4 p.m. Eastern time on June 21st, and the players with the three highest vote totals at each position will be announced that night on MLB Network. The secondary stage, called the Starters Election, will begin at noon Eastern time on June 26th and last for 28 hours. Who came up with this? Uh, the la- the remainder of the 23 players for the American League and 24 for the National League, including all pitchers, will be selected by player vote, as well as AL manager Alex Cora of the Boston Red Sox and NL manager Dave Roberts of the Los Angeles Dodgers. What do you think of this system? I think it's silly and ridiculous and like overwrought, but I mean, I guess they need more people interacting with this thing. Um, It seemed to me that people were not voting until like the last day of the all-star ballot kind of a thing. But also it's like, who gives a shit? I mean, I like the all-star game a lot because it's like a fun break and whatever. I hope Cody Bellinger doesn't do the home run derby. I hope Josh Bell doesn't do the home run derby. I hope Jock Peterson does. Those are my thoughts on that. I don't want anybody to do it because it messes up their second half a lot. Um, the system thinks really is seems really silly and like a lot of work, but hey, I'm curious to see how it goes for the MLB and three swings listeners. You should tweet at three swings pod with your all star sleepers. Give me your lineups, please. Let's talk about it next week. I think Josh Bell should be there. Cody Bellinger, obviously. Uh, Anthony Rendon. <laughs> all right. Now, on to a story that I really wanted to talk about. I was so excited to see this. The gender... Gonna say it again. The gender barrier has been smashed in Puerto Rico's Baseball Federation. This is from MLB.com. An island known for producing major league stars such as Javier Baez, Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, and Yadier Molina played host to history on Sunday, May 26th, when Diamilit Quiles became the first, sorry, I'm trying my best, became the first woman to play in the Superior AA League, the top league in the Puerto Rico Baseball Federation, which is the governing body of leagues and teams across the island. It's a great opportunity to show the caliber of play we have in our baseball league for women and show that there are women that can play with men, said Hector Rosa, the director of communications for the Puerto Rico Baseball Federation. It's a chance to demonstrate our inclusion and inspire others to play baseball. There are no rules that say she can't play with the men. She's a good player with lots of experience and talent. We have already been approached by other women who want to do the same next year. So remember how I was like saying visibility, whatever, uh, 
it's already helping by just having this one woman playing. There's other women going, hey, I want to do this too. And this is a quote from uh, Dia Millet herself. I am very happy. This is one more achievement in my career. I am always proud when I get the chance to represent my people in Utuado. Whenever I compete, I always give the best of me. And on a final note, she added, I thank the Baseball Federation and the Utuadado Highlanders board for the opportunity to be the first woman to play double-A baseball. Uh, She also played for Puerto Rico in the World Cup last year. And just one more quote from Rafael Huabre Pagan, the president of the Montañeses de Utuado. Man, so much Spanish I took and I couldn't do it. This is not just a symbolic signing. It represents much more. It will contribute to closing the gender gap and will help demonstrate that in many cases, women can compete with men. I think that's the important thing to remember here. A, women play baseball already. There's no reason that we shouldn't have women's baseball leagues and there's no reason that women should be only allowed to play softball. I think if you want to play softball, play softball. That's great. But you you shouldn't be forced to play softball. You should be able to play baseball if you want to. And if the only opportunity is to play baseball with men, then that should be an opportunity that's afforded to you. And I just want to point out that it says with men. I just think that, you know, there's something to be said. And Nick and I talked about this. I hope it made it on the podcast. We gender segregate kids and they don't play team sports together. And one sport that we don't gender segregate them right away is little league baseball and soccer. Those are the two sports in this country that like little kids play together. And I often wonder how much of a difference it would make in the world if people played sports together for a lot longer. And it kind of goes into my my conversations that I've had a lot on this podcast about participation trophies and all those things like playing team sports builds a lot of character and confidence in children and it helps them to understand how to be a part of a team it understands it teaches them humility and like grace and so many things and when you separate people out and you only focus on the ones that are good then you create this disparity and and it doesn't build self-esteem and confidence for people. And so then layer on top of that, that you take women away and put men over here and they never have to learn to work together towards something that isn't marriage and babies. And I'm saying that from like a heteronormative society perspective, you know, like no wonder we harass each other. No wonder we treat each other like shit. We get separated from each other and we don't work together for most of our at like beginning life we're never we're not around each other in a capacity where we have to go okay i don't care that you're a boy i don't care that you're a girl we have to get this done i want to score a goal <laughs> you know like it, it goes away and so it goes away and that muscle doesn't get built so i think that um having this woman playing in this league is a huge step and i think it's really wonderful and she did get on base she did. I think she got a hit. She got on base on an error, but you know that's an error, an infield error. That means it was a good hit. You know, so I can't imagine what was going through her brain trying to stay in the game and and being like having your photo taken and all that shit. Like 
unnerving, you know, um, goes back to that Jackie Mitchell episode that I never ended up relating to you, but you know, whatever, go listen to that episode of the memory palace. It was really wonderful. Um, so we will end this podcast on a note that is unfortunate. Uh, Julio Urias returns to play Dodgers relief pitcher Julio Urias returned to play Saturday, May 25th against the Pirates pitching two scoreless innings. It was his first appearance since his May 13th arrest on suspicion of domestic battery and ensuing seven day administrative leave. Um, they have since dropped the charges. There will be no charges. Um, the leave could have been extended beyond the initial seven day stint, but major league baseball didn't gather enough evidence, uh, to convince, the Major League Baseball Players Association that an extension was warranted. This was all Dodgers manager Dave Roberts had to say about Urias' return to play. With Julio, nothing surprises us. He hadn't pitched in a Major League game in quite some time, but he was sharp. The ball was coming out good. Life in the zone. Changeup was right on plane and a couple of curveballs cur- and a couple of curveballs were sharp. I thought two innings was perfect for him, Roberts said, and to get him back in there and get him a few days to reset and he'll be back online so you know just uh business as usual (laughs) i uh am pretty disappointed and you know i've learned a lot about the dodgers and there's a lot of bad shit going on and unfortunately that is the case in many if not every clubhouse in men's baseball because there's like a serious issue with harassment um because of things that i mentioned earlier because we do not we avoid them as opposed to uh confronting these issues and doing something about it um you know maybe the woman that he was with didn't want to press charges that's her choice um you can't force somebody to do something but i do think there's a there's a way you can take responsibility for your actions which is um you know in the video dodgers or major league baseball came out and said it looked like he was just trying to stop her from leaving that there was no like violent intent something that i've you know learned over my life is Even if your intention is, hey, I don't want this person to leave for whatever reason, if it's even a good reason, you're like, I don't want them to leave because I don't think they should leave because I think they're upset and we can maybe work it out. Um, You don't put your hands on people in those situations. Even if you're like, hey, don't leave. You just don't do that because you don't know how that person is interpreting you doing that. And the best way to the best interpretation is, hey, my hands are not on you. And I'm just going to say, please don't leave. And then it's up to you to leave. You know, Um, this is how you this is the things they should be talking about. But instead, they're going, oh, nope. Well, it wasn't violence. And he's back in the zone and life in the zone and his uh, changeup is on plane and he's right there and uh, curveballs are sharp. And well, he's just back to being a baseball guy. So where does that guy who's a very he's a kid i mean i don't say this to diminish his actions i just mean he's very young so when does he learn to not do these things because like as far as i'm concerned he got out of it without having to do anything he's just back to work now um so you know again these things are conversations these are conversations that these public figures should be having publicly by saying hey this is not something i should be doing um, I'm glad that everything has worked out all right. Um, you know, I'm seeking some some help with this stuff, talking to people, getting some mentoring from other people, and that's something I'm never going to do again. I'm going to work to not do this again. And it's not something anyone should do. It's not something a man should do. 
Um, it's not something that someone who's a professional, who's a public figure should do. This is not something anyone should do. How, where is the harm in saying that? I don't know the harm, you know? But this is what happens when you have a bunch of lawyers running your business. You don't admit to anything. You hide everything and you don't admit to anything because then you'd be on record saying that you did something. But I would really love to see some people actually do something. So I hope everybody out there does something <laughs> this week. Uh, go do something with your friends and family. Put some kindness out into the world because Lord knows we need it. Um, come to my show if you're in Cleveland on July 7th at the Hannah Theater on July 29th, I'll be at the Solid Sound Festival in Northern Massachusetts. And then on the 30th, I'll be at Laugh Boston. So please come out to those shows. All the tickets are on my website at riabutcher.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Tell a friend about it. Write, review, subscribe. Do all those things. I said all this shit about pride stuff, and I think we're going to have a pride shirt maybe, but I feel a little more okay about it because at least I'm a queer person selling you a pride shirt. So I don't know, whatever. If you think I'm dumb for doing it, I don't disagree. Uh, so yeah, as always, if you liked it, you liked it. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Engineered and mastered by Alex Sarchet. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. <laughs>